Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to show 270, the four elements of effective well-being strategies. So today we're going to be talking about the four elements of effective well-being strategies, which we are defining for this call on uh, as inspire, engage, educate and empower and make. So more on that later. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there's a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list. We usually mail out once a week with all our news and various events that are happening and so on. And our social media links are available at the bottom of the homepage and the website too. My guest today is Pip Lawrence, co-founder of Day One Wellness. So welcome, Pip. Thanks for joining me. No, thanks for having me. So let's start by you telling us a bit about uh, who you are and who Day One Wellness are. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, I started um, my career as a personal trainer um, and very quickly uh, got very disheartened with, with the industry because it's a very kind of uh, quick fix industry um, that focuses on kind of plugging holes rather than making sustainable change. Um, and so uh, about four years ago, uh, myself and my other half set up Day One Wellness after, um, like many businesses, kind of a, a string of uh, life experiences and, and um, events that happen along the way to um, that basically made us realise you know, in, in Western society, we make well-being very, very complex. Um, and from traveling and spending time in the private sector and in the public sector, we realized that actually there was there was a much simpler way for us to get a message across to um, to the general public about how they could improve their well-being from kind of on that slippery slope um, of feeling very fatigued and burnt out and overwhelmed and overweight um to uh to to really live in their best life for the longest so four years ago we set up day one wellness and um and yeah we had no intention actually to start off with to go into employee well-being um but it was one of those things that that sort of happened almost organically and um and we've really enjoyed it since because we we are able to then reach a, an even wider audience lovely so Tell us what your definition of well-being is, because it's it sort of, I, I, can't, I don't know that it did come from the corporate world, but it does, it feels like a sort of corporate description for what we might have been calling, you know, I don't know, health and maybe wellness and, and other descriptions in, in our general lives. Um, but it, it's, it's turned into a bit of a, um, a sort of um, area in its own, hasn't it, in terms of, of organisation. So how would you define well-being? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely become a buzzword and, um, and more recently, especially. Um, but my definition of well-being is uh, that your state, whether it, um, it's your mental, physical and emotional state. So uh, how you're feeling in that time. And I think the key thing with well-being is that it's not 
it's not a destination that you arrive at or that you achieve and you can kind of tick off the bucket list it's it's forever evolving because you know our, our modern world is evolving so quickly that that we have to keep up um, with it and often it's our well-being that's affected when you know technology speeds up the pace of our world speeds up it's not a case that well-being changes so much but it's more a case of our environment changes and and we need to then then learn kind of new ways to to make sure that we're staying at our optimal like i said both mental physical and emotionally mm. so you've described sort of getting involved in this from a personal training point of view and, and working sort of one-to-one i guess with, with sort of the general public if you like um but you talked about sort of organically growing into sort of working with organizations so why should organizations pay attention to well-being because you know some people might argue that it's up to us individually to do that and and you know organizations are there to to do whatever they do not necessarily to think about the well-being of their employees she said yeah absolutely um, challengingly (laughs) (laughs) no no i think it's a really good point though because it's definitely something and that, that we still now you know receive pushback on and i think the the key points are is that um, so when uh, myself and my other half were, were traveling, um, we, we stayed out of the UK for about 18 months. And, um, and there were three key things that we noticed um, that all of the healthiest and the happiest communities around the world um, all did. Um, they all ate real food. They all did um, outdoor movement. Um, but the third one that is really, really commonly overlooked is that they all had a really strong sense of community. And in our Western world, that sense of community is slightly lost, but a business has the opportunity to to regain that and make that community really, really strong because they can make that organisation and they can get, you know, get that level of community support around that. And for an organisation, if they do that successfully, um, I mean, there's some stats around the the amount of money that they could save is, is really the, the first bit in that. Poor well-being can cost up to um, three and a half or over three and a half thousand pounds per employee per year, and that's made up of a combination of your absenteeism costs, then presenteeism costs, um, and then staff turnover. And I think the latest study showed um, in Oxford Economics that just staff turnover alone costs around about thirty thousand pounds for for a standard employee, the average employee in the UK. So just from a money saving point of view straight away it's uh, it's really a no brainer for organizations um but then mm. if if organizations want to grow there's two key things that they need um to grow their their brand and one of those are obviously they need to recruit the right team members and then the second thing is that then they need to re- attract um the right customers and um again in one of the studies um recently from Forbes said that employees um, will rank higher in public trust than the PR department of any organization um, or even the founder of that organization. So if the employees aren't engaged and aren't happy at work and, you know, feeling vibrant at work, then, you know, that's going to relay across into how they're then communicating the message of the organization, um, how engaged they are just in their own individual um, and also, you know, how productive they can be in the workplace. So um, really, those are the key points that we get across. But more than that, I think the the really underlying factor around employee well-being has to come down to it's really the organization's moral obligation, not necessarily to force 
uh, well-being onto that individual because we're very keen to make sure that um, people are met where where they're ready. Um, so, you know, if, if they're not ready to take on a, a big well-being um, change, then, then that's absolutely fine. But organisations, it's their responsibility really to create that environment so that then when that individual is ready, then they know where to go straight away. Um, and really, I think that's mm. the difference. We're not trying to push individuals into, you know, changing because, like you said, that that really does come down to the individual and their own choices and how they want to live their life. Um, but as individuals, we are all products of our environment. So if an organisation makes that easier for the individual, then fantastic. You know, that that's win-win all around. The organisation is going to get more out of their employee and their employee is going to feel more engaged in the workplace. Hmm. Okay, so we've sort of established that it's, a, it's probably a good thing to do. But what is that thing? What does it look like for organisations? It's really easy to sort of throw out the, you know, employee wellbeing is important and it helps to engage people and that sort of thing. But what does that actually mean? What does it look, look like in organisations? Yeah, so historically, um, there's there's been a lot of feel-good factor things that, that organisations will throw. So they'll be like an employee Trip. wellbeing Trip. week. <laughs> 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 or uh, or or something crazy like that. Whereas uh, really, what they should be doing is really focusing on um, first of all starting off with inspiring the organisation. So inspiring everyone from um, senior leaders all the way um, through that organisation. So so any impact that sorry any connection that um, an employee has with with that organisation, then they know okay, well-being is is really through that that culture of it. Um, and that starts off by doing some sort of um, inspirational event. So that could be a wellbeing week. It could be um, we run uh, team building retreats that take people out of the office and put them then into nature. Um, and so it's got to be something that, that takes people kind of outside of their, their normal um, everyday uh, environment so that then they can sort of look at wellbeing slightly differently. But then from there, there needs to be a follow-up. So there needs to be something else that's happening um, for people to, to get engaged in. And that's then the second level that we put through is, is the engagement level. And that's where we really highly recommend doing some sort of one-to-one, um, whether it's wellbeing screens, whether it's progress coaching reviews, um, but allowing that um, individual to have a one-to-one with someone that's outside of the organisation where they can then start to develop that self-awareness around um, their own personal well-being. So they, so our coaches will sit with them and ask them questions that are all designed to to heighten their self-awareness. Because, you know, generally life is very busy and and it's always one of the things that are on our to-do list. Um, but if we're not quite sure how to go about it, then it ends up just slipping down that to-do list further and further. So by giving the the employee um, a dedicated time. Um, it means that then they can they can sit down with a coach and, and lift their self awareness to that. Oh, oh you still there? Are you still there? Yeah. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what happened. <laughs> then, then. Beat, didn't it? <laughs> oh, no problem. Yeah, carry on. And, and then, um, and then, really, the next stage is uh, so we then roll out our signature recalibrate wellbeing program, and this is. Um, we focus on four cornerstones, uh, and those four cornerstones are your mindset, uh, your nutrition, so how you're fueling your body, 
uh, outdoor movement, so how you're moving every day, as well as um, any exercise that you're partaking in. Um, and then the key element that a lot of people forget when, it, when they come to wellbeing is your lifestyle resilience, which is how are you sleeping, how are you managing um, stress in your life, and how are you managing social situations. And so what we do is we walk um, either individuals or groups through this uh, generally 12-week program that then just allows that individual to focus on one change at a time because our whole ethos is making sure that then we can achieve sustainable change with these individuals. So it's not a, it's not focused on weight loss or on a quick fad or anything like that. It's focused on actually um, embedding the sustainable behavioral change that then they can um, improve their own performance and then start being a positive impact on, on those around them as well. Lovely. So did that um, talk about the elements of your wellbeing initiatives? Because you talk about inspiring, yeah. engaging, and then your program. And you also review, don't you? That's it, yeah. So so every um, around about every six months, we'll then go into the organisation and, and look at the key metrics. Um, now, when it comes to employee wellbeing, obviously there's kind of uh, two sets of metrics. You've got the, the individual's metrics to make sure that, yes, actually we're going in and you know, blood pressures are reducing, um, BMIs are reducing, uh, you know, the amount of sleep that they're getting is increasing. So, so you've got the individual's metrics on one side, but then you've got the organization's metrics on the other side as well. So we want to see actually as a company is absenteeism dropping, um, our staff turnover figures much better. Um, and actually is a business hitting its business goals because, you know, people are the driving force of any business. So, um, if our wellbeing initiatives working, then actually those business goals should be getting achieved as well. So, yeah. so then that's the yeah. that's the metric side. So yeah, we start with Inspire, where it's where it's a, a, a all singing, all dancing event that that gets people going. Um, then we do the Engage, which are the one-to-one um, sessions. Then the Educate and Empower is where we take people through the Recalibrate Wellbeing program. And then the uh, the make it last is is making sure that every six months or so we we do a review and and look at those key metrics. Mhm. So tell us more about the employees' views on this because again, going back to the beginning when we talked about how you know this is quite an individual thing and should organisations be involved in it? You know, we know that there's lots of reasons why it's a good thing. You, you quoted some of the the research and so on. But actually, as an employee in an organisation, do I want my employer to be doing these things? You know, whether you're inspiring me or not, <laughs> where do I start? You know, am I am I wanting this in the first place, or is that part of that inspiration? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, initially the feedback is always, "Oh, I'm really not sure about this," because you know, human beings, we all have the fear of the unknown. We're like, "What's going on? Is someone going to come in and?" do some crazy keep fit classes at lunchtime where, you know, we've all got to get up and, and get a sweat on and things and people start fearing the worst. Um, so it, and that's really where the inspire um, part comes in because we like, we come in and, and then take the mick out of those sorts of things that then it puts people at ease because, you know, like I said, the fear of the unknown is, is sometimes the worst thing and people start conjuring up all sorts of things in their head. And whenever we've gone into organizations, we always get, get these stories of people saying oh I thought it was going to be you know that you're going to be really judgmental on you know this or this or 
or the complete flip side where it was, oh, I thought it was going to be very hippie-like and we'd all be sitting around holding hands, you know, like well-being for, <laughs> for everyone can conjure up all sorts of different things. So, um, so yeah, that's where the Inspire event comes in. Um, so then we can put all of these to bed um, and literally just just get on with the work that we know um, creates that sustainable change. So, so really helping people to, to meet them where they're at because if they're not ready to, to make that change in the first place, then that's absolutely fine, but with subliminal messaging um, that, you know, goes through the organisation, um, then that can really, really help. Hmm. So how can organisations encourage employees to get involved? I'm presuming you, you don't go in where the, this stuff is compulsory, or do you? No, no, not at all. Generally, it, it starts off um, <laughs> from the top. So uh, we this is through trial and error as well. We When we first started, to, to give you a bit of a background, when we very first started um, going into organisations, it was because we were looking for more one-to-one clients on our private side of the business. So we thought, okay, if we go in, offer some employee wellbeing um, workshops, and at the time we were calling them lunch and learns. So we would go in, do offer a workshop, uh, deliver it to about kind of 14 people or so, and then from there, um, generally, we would pick up a few one-to-one clients. Um, and what actually ended up happening was that then the head of HR of that organization would talk to, you know, the head of HR next door and um, at the business park. And then we'd, we started getting inquiries and getting calls. And, and it was really all through trial and error um, on, you know, what was it that the employees actually needed. And I think because we built it from that standpoint, um, then it means that, that it's uh, it's much it's much more engaging for both the employees and the organisation because we've really built it with the employees' needs at the heart of it. Um, but one of the things that we realised very early on is that without the senior leaders involved, um, the initiative wouldn't go anywhere. So um, one of our stipulations are that one, at least one of the senior leadership team um, must ha- have a wellbeing screen um, before anything happens. Um, with the initiative because we want them to to be like I said engaged in it from the start and um, our whole ethos is all around educate yourself first and then you can empower others through your actions not your opinions and so for leaders to roll out a well-being initiative across the company and their employees need to see that they're actively engaged in that and for for some leaders who aren't as well as they could be you know that's that's quite a a challenging thing for themselves but if they can put their their own personal um demons and and fears aside um then what we've seen is that 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 really dramatically increases the engagement even more for the initiative because other people are saying oh wow okay they've started making changes and and they're really looking well and and are being more productive i kind of want to follow the leader um, and and that's how it then mm. starts going throughout the organisation. Mm-hmm. So tell us a, a bit more about how it, it runs in terms of you know any clients that you can sort of share case study type stuff with us or you know what 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 have you done what does that look like in in real life as it were? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. Um, so we work with we started working with smaller organisations, um, so kind of 50 employees or less. Um, and like I said, we would start with with the um, with the decision maker. So they would um, come onto our recalibrate wellbeing program. We would do one to one coaching with them. Um, and generally, by the time they got to about 
kind of week six on the program, um, they would realize and uh, and feel the benefits and be like, yep, yeah, okay, we definitely need to get you in um, and working with the team. Um, so after after their initial kind of one-to-one -one program, um, then it really depends on the structure of the organization. On smaller organizations, we would then um, take the team away for all their you know annual team building day, and they would come to um, Kingdom in Penthurst, which is one of our venues where we have one of our nature's gyms, which is a, an outdoor gym because we're very, very big on, on outdoor exercise. Um, so they would come along for a team building day there where then they would have a full day of well-being where they would do an outdoor exercise class in the morning, maybe some yoga. Then that would be followed by a whole foods lunch. Um, then we'd do a walk out into the woods. There's about 13 acres of woods, so it's, it's, it's a real different environment from the office environment. Um, and then we do a resilience workshop in the woods that involves some bushcraft and team building. Um, and, uh, and from there, what we noticed was that people were really opening up um, because, you know, they were out of their office environment. They were doing completely different um, activities. Um, and it was just a very, a really great way to to launch a wellbeing initiative. Um, so then once once they'd had their team building day, on that team building day is when we would announce kind of the, the next phase, which is the engagement phase. Um, and we would explain uh, the difference between uh, wellbeing screens and progress coaching. So a wellbeing screen um, is generally a 30 to 60 minute appointment, depending on what the organization wants to go for. Um, where we literally take their metrics. So we'll do their blood pressure, we'll take their, their weight, their lung function, um, and give them a well-being score. So um, at the end of the, at the, end of the um, appointment, they'll literally be able to go away with, okay, um, my actual age is, is, say, 35, but my well-being score is saying that I've got an age of 45. And, and what we found was that it was that age that um, made people... Um, more aware to their well-being than if they saw their weight on the scales or if they saw their lung function it was you know that that number where they were like okay I really need to pull this this age down um yeah and then, and then from there we would do a combination of some some organizations want us to do one-to-one -one coaching where they will um, either subsidize some of the one-to-one -one program or they'll pay for the program in, in full for their employees um, and others roll that into a group program so then we do groups of up to eight people um, and take them through the recalibrate wellbeing program which works really effectively as well because you think you're with your um, work colleagues every single day so accountability wise goes through the roof when you know you've, you've done a topic on nutrition and you've all got to bring each other lunch in um, you're not gonna you're not gonna swing by McDonald's and pick something up <laughs> <laughs> so what what effect does it have on engagement with your employees when you're doing something like that? Because I guess the, the cynical um, person could say that people might be concerned that the company's trying to, uh, I don't know, get out their health and be be sort of um, more in control of it and, and, you know, I don't know, make sure that they don't take time off sick and all that sort of stuff in a sort of, you know, not very abundant sort of way. Uh, it doesn't sound like that's the impact it's having. How how does that play out in terms of the employees? And if I went to talk to them and said, you know, how's it run for you? And what do you think of the fact that the company's invested in this for you? What sort of things do they say? 
Yeah, well, I think uh, I think it also is um, set up around expectations. So um, we we give a lot of guidance at the beginning of any initiative, and um, to make sure that the communication um, that's delivered uh, to the employees is is really open and honest, because it's that transparency that will allow the employees to to get on board with it. So you know, people aren't stupid. They know that you know the only reason when it comes down to it at the end of the day, unless you have a very, very angelic um, boss, the main reason is that it's going to be either increase in performance um, or increase in profit. And I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with saying that, you know, actually to invest in a wellbeing initiative, um, the reason the organization is doing it, because they, they want you to be more productive. Um, but it, it's one of those where it's, it's win-win because actually by you being more productive, you're also going to um, be able to to tick some of your personal goals off. You know, your um, energy levels are going to increase. You're going to um, be more resilient both at work and at home. So I think as long as there's that transparency, then from my experience, um, it's always been like really, really well received because, you know, if someone said to you, right, we're going to do an initiative that's going to increase your energy levels as a nice side effect, you'll probably lose weight. Um, and you'll be more productive and more resilient, then, uh, then wouldn't you bite their hand off? It does sound uh, convincing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what about that sort of giving, giving time over to it? Because, again, organisations sometimes can, can think that things sound like a good idea, but when it actually comes to, you know, putting either money or time behind something, that, that doesn't always happen. Um, and we've said there's all you know sorts of benefits for for improving well-being for employees, and that's why organisations should be looking at it. But but you know, is is that re- there really a direct um, benefit in terms of you know why it's worth giving that time and money to this for your employees? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think really time is is the real factor. Um, I, you know, there's in almost every organization, um, it seems to be that everyone's trying to squeeze more into their day. It's always more, more, more. Um, but I think there, again, there's an interesting movement happening at the moment with kind of the four day work week. Um, and I think people are starting to realize that actually just because we're working longer hours doesn't mean we're working more efficiently. Um, so we use the analogy of a computer, you know, um, every, well, even with my phone every couple of months, it seems like my phone's doing an upgrade um, and it does the upgrade because we know that then it runs more efficiently on the latest software and things like that. Um, but it's very rare that anyone takes time out to do an upgrade on themselves and, and their own operating systems. Um, and really, that's kind of how we explain it. You know, if you can get people focused and engaged on, on their own well-being um, get them hydrating properly, sleeping properly, eating properly, moving properly, um, then effectively you're upgrading their operating system so that then they can run more efficiently. So it's really just, just helping people to, to take a, a slightly different mindset approach towards wellbeing and, and say, actually, that, that time that you're investing in wellbeing, you're going to get back in, in abundance um, once they start feeling the effects of it. Mm-hmm. Lovely. We're just entering the last sort of couple of minutes of, of the show. Any sort of final tips, anything you want to share before we close? Yeah, absolutely. So some some really practical tips just to get people going so then they can kind of see uh, and start implementing it. Um, two of my absolute favorites are uh, a movement alarm. So every 45 minutes or so, you know, if your Fitbit buzzes or or if you set an uh, alarm on Google, you can literally type it into Google 
45 minute alarm doing something as simple as standing from your desk and maybe walking a flight of stairs and coming back down will boost uh, blood flow to your brain which will make you more productive so that's a really important one breaking up sitting is essential um, and the other one is bring uh, well we, we call them community lunches where then you bring uh, a lunch in to say for instance if me and you Joe were working together on Monday I would bring lunch in for both of us and then on Tuesday you'd bring lunch in for both of us effectively you're still um, making lunch but because you have to then um, have it with someone else you're less likely to skip out on it. So uh, so we've found that that's really, really successful as well. Excellent. Yeah, no, that sounds really, really cool. And 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 fun, a fun way of keeping accountable without it sort of appearing that that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, then, then you also end up making nicer things because you're making it for someone else. You'll sit down and have lunch together. And, you know, then, then it's... Um, it's really putting that all together, isn't it, in the engagement piece, the well-being piece, and that, that's really what organisations are looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, how can people find out more about Day One Wellness? Uh, so the best way is to, to jump online, so just www.dayonewellness.co.uk. Um, and oh, we're also yeah. to keep an eye out on us um, on LinkedIn um, because we're going to be running uh, something for like a local promotion in the next couple of days that's all to do with a, a free workshop. So, so yeah, you can um, search okay. for me on LinkedIn with Pip Lawrence. Okay. Brilliant. Lovely. Thanks, Pip. Thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. So to let you know that I'll be back next week with Professor Rao, who's founder of MSR Leadership Consultants in India, talking about the concept of soft leadership so looking forward to being back next week engage for success radio raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work